In our last few episodes, we talked about the American Revolution. Today, we're talking about a revolution that happened in the same time period, the French Revolution. The two revolutions could not have been more different. One of the core differences was the role of the church. While the American revolutionaries embraced the church and prayed to God for help, the French Revolution was a rejection of the church and a rejection of God. Welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. A few weeks ago, I said we would cover the French Revolution, and then we were going to talk about the relationship between the church and Islam during this time period. I'm going to put that episode on hold until September. For the summer, I'm going to be telling the story of some of our hymns. During this summer, I'm going to take the time that I need to put the finishing touches on the book that I'm working on. Also, put together a good outline for the new episode and the new seasons coming in September. I want to make sure I don't miss any important stories. All right, today we're looking at the French Revolution. Let's talk first about what led up to the French Revolution. France was one of the strongest, most important countries during this time. France was an incredibly powerful country. Now, the country was set up in three estates. The first estate was made of the clergy. The second estate was made up of the nobility. The third estate was made up of all the rest of the people. The third estate had 97% of the population. They were responsible for all of the expenses of the first and second estate. They worked mostly in the fields and were taxed. The taxes were used to run the country, go to war, and also support the lavish lifestyles of the clergy and the nobility. The taxes were so high, the third estate was robbed of all their money and lived in extreme poverty. There was only extreme wealth and extreme poverty, nothing in the middle. In fact, 80% of the population was made up of peasants. In 1756, France and Austria became allies, as the custom during this time was. To make the treaty official, a marriage was decided. The king of France would give his son to be married, and the king of Austria would give his daughter, Marie Antoinette, to be married. Now, they were both children at the time, and far too young for marriage. So the official wedding didn't take place until 12 years later, when they were teenagers. In the meanwhile, while they were waiting for the marriage, France went to war with England. We call it the Seven-Year War. France lost and ended up in major debt. Don't worry, all the peasants will pay for that war. There was a high debt, a recent loss of a war, and then the people decided they were not okay with this arrangement. You see, the church, who had a pretty good deal with the clergy being in the first estate, had taught for years that God decided what place in the estate you were born into. If you were born in the third estate, God wanted you to work and pay taxes and pay for the lavish lifestyle of the first and second estate. It was his will. The peasants were becoming less and less okay with this idea. The Age of Enlightenment was spreading across Europe. The idea that you could think for yourself and you didn't have to believe what the government or what the church told you. In 1770, on the 19th of April, Marie Antoinette and Louis XVII were married. Marie Antoinette liked living in a lap of luxury. She would only have the very best. She dressed in very expensive clothing 
had her hair done in some extreme fashions. One time she even had it done to look like a giant ship. She would only allow the very best food, clothing, and parties. Everything that would cost a lot of money. Louis, on the other hand, was a creator. He liked to work on clocks and other little inventions of his. He wasn't interested in marriage or politics. The two were a very mismatched couple, but they were forced to marry. And immediately after their very expensive and lavish wedding, all the guests attended the first night of the marriage to make sure the couple would do their one and only job, create an heir to the throne. Four years later, the King of France died of smallpox. And suddenly, Louis and Marie Antoinette were in charge of the country, a country in massive debt, with citizens growing in resentment. Now, King Louis the 16th hated it being king. He had no interest in politics, and he was very easily manipulated. Even though France was in debt, he decided he would help fund a revolutionary war against his enemy, the King of England. The English colonies were trying to create their own country, and they were at war against England. By the time the American War of Independence was over, France was even more in debt than before. The only solution was, of course, more taxes. So, the peasants were taxed for every window they had in their house. They were taxed for the salt that they bought. They were taxed if they didn't buy enough salt. They were taxed for the wheat that they had. They were taxed if you saved the salt or the wheat from last year. They were taxed for the land that they lived on. They were taxed, taxed, taxed. And that was just the tax from the nobility. The church also had their own separate tax for the people. And basically, there was nothing left for the families. Meanwhile, the cathedrals continued to buy beautiful, elaborate things made of gold and silver. And the nobility continued to have lavish parties. And Marie Antoinette continued to buy more and more beautiful clothing and fancy furnishings. The people were done. Why should they have to slave away to pay and fund for another country they would never even see? And why should they pay for another country to have freedom from a throne when they lived under a worse throne? Maybe, maybe it was time for their own reformation. But they didn't just want a reformation from the throne. They wanted a reformation from the throne and the church. They wanted total freedom. Then bad weather ruined the crops. Now everybody was poor and starving, except of course for the first and second state. The clergy and the nobility all had lots of food. They continued to have large parties with fancy things, lots of food, while the people were starving. The peasants finally had enough and a mob was formed. The elites realized if 98% of the population attacked them, they might actually be in trouble. So they agreed to make some changes. The estates general was called. Now it had not been called in a long time, decades. But things were so out of control and the country was completely out of money. There was representatives from each of the three estates and they were told that each would be able to vote before making any changes. That sounded good. All three estates would be represented. Except the clergy got one vote, the nobility got one vote, and the peasants got one vote. The clergy and nobility decided to pass a law to make sure that they would never have to pay any taxes at all, and the government would continue to fund the lifestyles of the clergy and the nobility, and the peasants, of course, would have their taxes raised. The nobility 
and the clergy voted together, and the peasants only had one vote, even though they represented 98% of the people. The third estate decided it would create its own government. The king heard they were getting ready to have their first meeting, so the king had the doors of their buildings locked. The men arrived to find the king had taken control of their building. They walked down the road and found an empty tennis court and held their meeting in the tennis court. On the 20th of June, 1789, the tennis court oath was taken. The estates general took control of the country away from the king. They created new laws, erased all the laws that had been created up until this point. The people who wanted the king taken off the throne completely were called the Jacobins. The mobs wanting freedom grew, and military was called in to take control of the population. So the Jacobsons created their own military and called it the National Guard. Many of the military joined the National Guard, but they needed weapons. So they decided to break into the prison center and take a stash of weapons. They killed the general guarding the prison, cut off his head, and put his head on a post and paraded it through town. This beheading was the first, but it would not be the last. The mobs attacked bakers who they thought were hoarding bread, and more people were killed and beheaded. A man named John Paul began to write a newspaper. The newspaper was called Friend of the People. His writing called for more people to join the Reformation, and he called for more violence. Specifically, he called for more heads to be cut off. Thomas Jefferson got involved. He came to France to help the reformers, and he helped them write the Declaration of Independence. They called their declaration the Declaration of the Rights of Men and Citizens. While committees were being formed, documents were being written, the life of the peasants wasn't changing at all. The moms were tired of not being able to feed their families, and 7,000 moms started marching towards the castle to demand the king and the queen fix the situation. As the moms marched, more and more mothers joined them, and by the time they arrived at the castle, there was tens of thousands of mothers surrounding the castle. Imagine you're standing in the palace, in France, looking out a window. Your queen, Marie Antoinette, is standing and looking out the window next to you. She's fairly young. You are both watching the mob below. The queen is disgusted by so many dirty, ugly women dressed in disgusting clothes. Why would anyone dress like this? And what do they even want? You look at the queen. They're hungry. There's not enough bread for them to feed their families, madame. Hungry? That's it. That's an easy solution. If there's not enough bread, just let them eat cake. And that sentence is what Marie Antoinette is best known for. Some historians doubt the story, but what we do know is that the story spread quickly throughout the Third Estate, and Marie Antoinette was the most hated woman in France. Are you enjoying this podcast? Do you want to support this podcast? Well, pour yourself a cup of coffee and imagine waking up each morning with a reminder from our church fathers. Check out our Etsy page where you can find mugs with quotes from great men and women of God. You'll find a link in the show notes. And now back to our episode. The 98% were standing up to the church and the nobility. It became clear the populace had gained control. The government passed a law that the clergy and the nobility would now have to start paying taxes themselves. 
and no tax dollars could be spent on parties or on lavish lifestyles. Had the Reformation simply stopped here, perhaps it would have been a success. The king knew he was in trouble. He decided to flee with Marie Antoinette to her home in Austria. However, Marie Antoinette would only travel with all her treasures. Because it took so long having everything loaded, and because the carriage was so full, it traveled slowly, and they didn't get very far before being captured. The king had dressed to look like a servant, but Marie Antoinette was picky about what she would allow herself to wear. So her disguise was not very good. The king and queen had claimed to be supporting the third estate, and fleeing the country made it obvious they did not support the Reformation. One of the things the people wanted reformed was the death penalty. There was many horrific ways of death penalty during this time period. The people wanted just one version of the death penalty that all people would face, and they wanted it to be quick and painless. A man named Dr. Joseph Guillotine invented a death machine. He called it the National Razor that would cut off someone's head immediately upon contact. The National Razor was accepted as a new death penalty, but people didn't call it the National Razor. They simply called it the guillotine. John Paul was still writing for his paper called The Friend of the People. He began writing and calling for the death of the king and the death of every landlord and the death of every priest. Of course, he wanted them to use this new machine, the guillotine. The men of the first and second state began to pack up their families and leave France. They knew the mob was coming for them, and they didn't want an up-close encounter with the guillotine. Austria declared war against France, and Prussia agreed to help Austria. 1792. The French Republic was officially created. A new country, and this new country would not have a king. The people were free no king, and they were also not controlled by the church anymore. But they were not satisfied. They wanted blood. Here's the thing. Have you ever wondered why you are here? What is your purpose for your life? I can tell you. You were created to worship God. Each of us are created to worship God. It's our purpose. If we erase God, we will replace God, but we will still worship. Atheism spread through France. A man named Robespierre was running the Reformation now, and he created the cult of reason, a worship of reason, and a rejection of God. He called on the people to reject the idea of God. They stormed the Notre Dame and looted it. And they set up the Notre Dame as the temple of reason. Along one wall in the Notre Dame was a row of statues. They were statues of kings from the Old Testament. The mob, thinking the statues were actually past French kings, beheaded each of the statues. The heads were discovered hundreds of years later in the 1920s and are on display in museums today. Robespierre had the calendar changed. All Christian celebrations were cancelled. Statues of past French heroes were torn down. The way people addressed each other was changed. Everything from the past had to be erased and anything about God had to be erased. In just six years, a country that had been controlled by the church and the throne for hundreds of years no longer had a monarch and was an atheist country. It was understandable that the people hated the clergy and the church. They were corrupt, but now they were free from them. They had rejected God as well, and they'd embraced atheism. Would things get better or worse if they were controlled under atheism instead of the church? The priests and the clergy from the church were rounded up and thrown into prison. 
1793, the Committee of Public Safety was created. Now that the church was gone, the Committee of Public Safety had one job, to make sure the public was always kept safe from dangerous teachings. Anyone heard speaking out against Robespierre, the new country, the new way of doing things, was arrested. Anyone found celebrating the old holidays or addressing people with the old way of speaking respectfully was arrested. Anyone celebrating a Christian holiday or talking about God or showing any respect for the clergy or church was arrested. Anyone showing any empathy for the church or for the people arrested was arrested. The Committee of Public Safety made sure no one was hurt with any dangerous ideas. Austria and Prussia were planning on attacking, and there was a rumor they would attack the prison and set the prisoners free, hoping the prisoners would aid the Austrian army. The prisoners were all taken to court and tried and found guilty and taken to the guillotines. September 1792, in one day, 1,607 people were tried, found guilty, and beheaded, all in one day. Newspapers around Europe covered the story. Are these the rights of men? Is this the liberty of human nature? France heard Austria and Prussia were planning on putting King Louis back on the throne once they won the war. So to make sure the king would never take the throne again, King Louis was tried, found guilty, and beheaded. There was a vote whether or not to execute him. 360 people voted to have him live. 361 voted to have him killed. All of Europe saw France was out of control. And all of Europe began to attack France. France was now full on at war. The country was still in debt. And everyone was living in fear of saying the wrong thing and getting beheaded. Plus, they began missing the old holidays. And while they had hated the king and knew the clergy were corrupt, they still remembered the heroes of their past and they didn't really want it to all be erased. Living under the atheist rule turned out to be harder and the new government decided that all able men would have to join the war. The peasants wanted a new revolt. The last six years had been a mistake. They began to revolt, but Robespierre was not going to let them go. A general named John Baptiste had 1,000 priests mothers and children, tied to a ship. He then sent the ship out to sea and had it sunk. People were outraged. France was further in debt, deeper into war, peasants were revolting, and thousands of people were being murdered. The Committee of Public Safety had to control the people. They used the greatest weapon of all, fear. More people were rounded up and arrested, and the executions continued. People had erased the past, changed the way people spoke, cancelled holidays, killed the clergy, turned the cathedrals into temples of reason. Reason and science was now to be worshipped, and the Committee of Safety would make sure no other dangerous idea was ever spoken. And it all happened so fast. A lady named Charlotte Corday had enough. She wanted all the killing to end. She wanted the people to stop following Robespierre so blindly. She saw the newspaper, that friend of the people, was part of the problem. She decided to take matters into her own hand. She contacted the writer, John Paul, and told him she had a list of politicians who were secretly against the Reformation and true to the old France. He agreed to meet with her and to get the list. She arrived at his house. John Paul had a rare skin condition, so he had to soak in water for most of the day. 
He was sitting in a tub when she came to visit him. She stabbed him to death. A killing to end the killings. Charlotte was arrested and tried for treason, and of course, beheaded. She died believing that she'd done the right thing. She died on July 17, 1793, in Paris, France. But the death of John Paul turned him into a martyr, and people felt even more adamant about finding anyone who was secretly still loyal to the old France. Forty thousand people were arrested, tried, found guilty of being loyal to the old France, taken to the guillotine, and beheaded. They were found guilty of crimes against liberty. There was a republic of virtue where people were arrested by the Committee of Safety if they were caught worshiping God and then beheaded for crimes against liberty. Robespierre built a giant papier-mâché mountain inside of the Notre Dame and then dressed in all white, stood on top of the mountain, and declared himself to be worshipped. On October 16, 1793, Marie Antoinette was sentenced to death and killed by the guillotine. Even after all this time, she was still delusional. She believed her royal carriage would pick her up and take her to the guillotine. Instead, she was taken there in an old, riggedy wagon. On July 26, Robespierre announced in Parliament that he had a new list of people to be sent to the guillotine. And there were politicians on this list. Parliament had their own list with only one name on it, Robespierre. He was arrested, found guilty, and taken outside and beheaded. 1799. This was the official end of the Reformation. In 1789, in a tennis court, the Reformation had started, and ten years later it was over. Ten years of blood, fear, and a country changed completely. The Directory was created to be put in charge of France, and laws were created to make sure never again could just one man have all the power. But now they were even farther into debt. There were people who wanted the church back. They wanted a church that wasn't corrupt, but they wanted a church. But there were still others who wanted it to stay an atheist country. Some wanted the nobility to come back. Others wanted to keep all the rich people out of the country. But all of the different fractions had a common enemy, and that was the rest of the countries attacking France. So when a general who had been away for the last 10 years fighting to keep France from being taken over by Austria and Prussia, that general returned to France as a hero. While all the country was in the middle of a literal fight, the general came to a rescue. He claimed to be a Christian. He said he wanted to bring the church back, but with restrictions to make sure the church never had control over the people. He wanted to fix the debt, defeat the enemies of France, and set France up as a truly free and powerful country once again. The people voted this general into office. His name was Napoleon Bonaparte. In the future, we're going to do an entire episode on Napoleon. As I was prepping for this episode, I felt like I was talking about our world today. We have a society today that is pushing to get rid of God, eliminate God, any mention of him from public. There's a push to erase our history, change the way we speak, the way we address each other, to radically change our society, to tear down statues, to get rid of our holidays. Here in Canada, we are putting pastors in prison. To be specific, our health department is putting pastors in prison. Our own personal committee of public safety. The pastors being targeted are the pastors that have been speaking out against these health departments. Pastors are being arrested to keep the public safe from dangerous viewpoints. 
The French Revolution started based on truth. The church was corrupt, and the church didn't care about the people. But the problem came when instead of holding individual people responsible, everyone who was part of a state one or a state two was held responsible. Whole groups of people were blamed. It didn't matter if the priest or clergy was actually corrupt. Every priest and clergy was put into one group, a state one. Once people gave way to hate, the hate in their hearts only grew. The people thought if they got rid of God, they would be free. But the freedom that Satan offers is not freedom at all. What Satan offers is slavery. The freedom that God offers is true freedom. We will originally come back to tell the full story of Napoleon in September when our next season starts. But this summer, as I said, we're going to be covering the stories of the hymns. So if you have some hymns you would like us to cover, please send me a message and let me know. You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, or Twitter, or you can email me at lauralee at lauraleesiemens.com. You can, of course, check out our website for lots of other podcasts and blogs and videos, lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.